Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings, where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today's storyteller, Marty, was recently recorded at our community event in Jackson, Mississippi. Marty speaks of the night an ATV accident left her son as a quadriplegic, but how through that accident, she and her family have experienced the mercy, grace, peace, and joy that only our Father can give. One of the greatest and most unexpected ways that God has shown up and cared for Thomas is through his fraternity brothers. And you heard that right. (laughs) We give college kids such a bad rap, especially college boys. And to think of a group of guys who had the compassion and the selflessness and the initiative to help Thomas adjust to living on campus, a college campus again, going above and beyond to make sure that he could have as normal college experience as possible. That just amazes me. And I think right there, that is a sign of God's love and provision. For a mother's heart, there is nothing more comforting than seeing people rally around your child to support them and care for them. Here's Marty. First of all, thank y'all for coming. My, my first fear was that I was going to do that. It would be like, just like the team here. I would be like, hi. So thank you very much. Uh, and then secondly, I want to start out with a disclaimer. And my husband was like, you don't have to do a disclaimer. No, I do. I am the daughter of Priscilla and the daughter of Billy, who's an attorney. And I will have a disclaimer. Um, and that is that this is my story from my viewpoint. And uh, my coping mechanism is humor. And sometimes that's appropriate. And sometimes it's not appropriate. Uh, and I don't mean to make light of any of these serious situations that I talk about today. I'm not making fun of them, and I'm not saying that they're not hard or not important. Uh, but just understand that this is the way God made me, and sometimes it is, it's a little twisted. So, <laughs> so there's that. All right, and I want to jump right into the story, but I feel like I at least need to tell you just a little bit about who I am so that you'll, under, you'll understand my background. So I grew up in Laurel, Mississippi, uh, and my parents were, they're wonderful. Uh, they are godly people, and they taught us from a very young age to love the Lord, to uh, laugh a lot, and to work hard. Uh, I have one sibling who is, uh, my sister Shelly, who is, if anybody knows me, God help. She is the funniest, most creative, artistic, wickedly awesome uh, woman, and I'm blessed to have her as a sister. So my childhood was really kind of a fairy tale. I grew up loving the Lord and just enjoying life. I uh, graduated from Laurel, went to Ole Miss, and it was the best four-year vacation of my life. <laughs> if I could do it again, I would. Uh, after graduation, I'm married uh, a man named Scott, and he's from Hattiesburg, went to Mississippi State, 
and we've been married for 20 plus years. We have two boys, uh, Thomas, who is 20 and is a full-time student at Mississippi State, and then Will, who is 17, and uh, both my boys have, have needs at this point, special ones. Uh, Will, who is a separate story all unto himself, um, has a genetic disorder. He has what's called 22Q11, and it makes him this big, lovable teddy bear. He's like six foot three, 250, and hugs better than anybody I've ever known. So that's, that's Will. But the story is really about Thomas, uh, who is such a wonderful compilation of Scott and me. Personality, sass. Um, just he's he's a great guy. So his freshman year in college is where the story begins, and it was November the 29th, 2017. He uh, was 18 years old, like I said, freshman at state, just pledged Sigma Chi, living life, and really just enjoying that freshman year like you're supposed to. I mean, just eating it up. And it was right around exam time, uh, right around Christmas. And it was like the night before they have like a, like a dead day. So you're supposed to take a break from your studies before exams start. So he and his buddies, there's probably about 15 of them, I think, decided that they were going to go down to some hunting land that we have south of Starkville. And they were going to cook out and ride four-wheelers and hunt and, and just goof off and blow off steam. Uh, it was dark at this point, and one of the friends showed up late and uh, wanted to see, you know, the land. So my son, Thomas, was like, you know, hop on the four-wheeler. I'll show you around. So they were, they were going down the dirt roads of our family land, and he was showing him the different places where they hunt. And they were, I think, on their way back, and they were on a gravel road when the back right tire blew out. And it jerked them quickly and hard off the road. And it kind of hit a bit of a ditch, but it really it just it slammed them into a tree immediately. Uh, the young man on back was thrown off and was like knocked unconscious, but didn't have any you know, serious injuries. I think he hurt his wrist or his arm. Thomas, because he was the driver, was holding on to the four-wheeler. And so he, trying to control it, basically held on until the very end. And so he took the brunt of that accident uh, and was knocked unconscious and was injured pretty severely. Uh, the friend wakes up and realizes he can't find his phone. He doesn't know where he is on this family land that he's never been to. So he calls all the friends back at the hunting cabin and says, we've had an accident. Thomas is unconscious, and I need you to come find us. And I don't know where we are. Just look for the four-wheeler lights. And so immediately, all the friends, they jump in cars, and they're all splitting up on these dirt roads looking for four-wheeler lights. Uh, meanwhile, this, this sweet friend on the back is trying to, you know, hold Thomas and trying to stabilize him to a degree. And it took, a, it took a while for them to find them. And right as one of the cars was coming down this dirt road, they saw the four-wheeler lights just as the battery died and the lights went out. So that's the first miracle of thousands, just thousands, that we experienced through this. And the, the level-headedness of that group of boys and girls young men and women that had the calm demeanor to realize he needs an emergency room, he needs help, let's hold him, let's take care of him, and then we got to let Marty and Scott know. So, you know, we're oblivious back in our home, sitting in our little Meemaw Peepaw recliners watching TV. It's about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm, I'm more worried about, like, getting Christmas cards out on time. You know, that's, that's kind of my, my mind frame. So, 
we get the phone call. And it is the phone call that you never want as a parent. I never wish this phone call on anybody, whether it's a diving accident, car accident, four-wheeler accident. It's the one ring that, that makes your heart stop. And all I could do was hear, Tom, uh, hear Scott saying, is he conscious? What's he saying? Where are you headed? And I just immediately slid out of my chair and onto the floor, just face down, and started praying. I don't even, I was like, God, I don't even know who he's talking about. But be with them. Be with the doctors. Be with those kids. What's going, whatever it is, Lord, let's, let's show up. And so Scott says, okay, it's Thomas, and he's alive. Uh, I'm going to head to the ER, which was about two hours away. And he said, you got to stay here with Will. Okay, so I'm just pacing. Um, halfway to the ER, the doctor at this hospital called my husband and said, we stabilized him, but he's got, he's got to go to the university hospital in Jackson, and we're going to airlift him. And it's, his quote was, he has a long fight ahead of him. But he really wouldn't tell Scott what all was going on. So Scott calls me and says, meet me at you know, UMC ER right now. So, okay. So we get to the ER at about the same time Scott and I do, thinking that the helicopter's going to land any second with Thomas. Helicopter lands, no Thomas. And the security guard was like, I don't know, he was supposed to be on the helicopter. I'm not real sure why he's not. So we're standing, it's about midnight, in this ER going, Where, where's our child? Uh, they had had to put him on a, a, an ambulance because the helicopter said that there might be some bad weather, and so it just turned around and came home. So now he's in an ambulance being brought to the UMC. So we had to wait for a couple of hours for him to show up. And it was a cold night, so the ER waiting room had lots of interesting um, visitors, uh, homeless people that were trying to get out of the cold. And so here we are, anxious and nervous and praying, and this man gets up and proceeds to take his pants off and roll them up and then use them as a pillow and then just takes a nap and starts snoring right in front of us. And I'm like, did he just take his pants off? (laughs) There was another man sitting next to us that had been talking to himself the whole evening. And he finally kind of saddles up next to us and he says, so I'm wondering if you guys have any heroin? You know, I'm fresh out of heroin. So sorry, I can't help you. And I mean, it's just the most bizarre situation going on. Well, Thomas finally shows up. The doctor's assessing, and this—I feel sorry for the one doctor that had to pull us into this room and tell us everything. He said, "Let me tell you what else going on with your child." And I'll start from the head. He said he has a severe concussion with bleeding in his ventricles. Um, He has a broken collarbone, a broken scapula, two broken ribs, a punctured and collapsed lung. He has a serrated spleen, and he has broken his back at level T2, which is right about your chest level. And he said, you need to know that we're trying to stabilize him so that we can do surgery and that he is fighting for his life. And at this point, he is paralyzed, and he will never walk again. And so if you'll excuse me, I've got to go take care of your child. And then he just leaves us in this room alone. And it's, you know, at this point, like 2 a.m. And we just look at each other like, okay, so he's alive. And we're going to focus on that. And, you know, all right, wheels. We can, we can do paralyzation. We can, but he's alive. So the wonderful doctors at UMC were able to insert rods and pins and they repaired broken bones in the back and they did everything that they could to get Thomas to a point where he could be stable and be alive. And we were super, super grateful. Uh, At that point, the only thing that Thomas could use was basically from the chest up. He could use his arms and his hands and he was gripping your hand and he could wave and point and all of that. And we noticed that within days after the surgery, 
he started to lose function up his arm. He quit using his fingers, and then he quit grabbing hands, and then he started having a hard time breathing, and we were like, what, what, what's going on? And the doctor pulled us aside and said, I've been up all night researching what's going on with your child, and the only paper that I can find is in Chinese. It is a very rare situation, but he has inflammation in his spinal cord, and there's nowhere for the inflammation to go because it's encased. So it is literally going up and down the spinal cord, and it is just pinching out the nerves as it goes. He said that's why he's losing function. And if it goes just one more level, he will lose the ability to breathe. His diaphragm will quit working, and we're going to have to put him on a ventilator, and he probably won't come off. And you could hear him in there just labored breathing, just fighting for each breath. And, And the doctor looked at us, and he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's not one single thing we can do medically. There's, there's nothing we can do. We can just watch it at this point. It's got to you know, run its course. And so we looked at the, the doctor and we, we were like, what? so what you're saying is that it's up to God at this point. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So we sent out, I mean, the urgent prayer request. And the response that we got from people that knew Thomas, didn't know Thomas, knew us, didn't know us, was so overwhelming that to this day it gives me chills of the people that prayed that moment for Thomas. Uh, Within 24 hours, uh, the swelling had stopped, and he never had to get on a ventilator, and the doctor said it was a miracle. I was like, no. it's. I mean, it's a miracle, but we all know who it's from. And it was so obvious that it was God because even the doctors were saying there was nothing that we did. Within that week, and he's still having you know, the battle to live. Within that week, one of my friends, uh, Kendra, called me up and she said, strangest thing happened last night. She said, I woke up at like 3.45 in the morning, and I never wake up at 3.45 in the morning. And I just felt the unbelievable need to pray for Thomas. I was like, wow, that's, well, thanks. That's great. Within that day, we had reports from other women, um, from Laurel, from Jackson, Madison, some from Memphis, uh, some of them knew Thomas, some of them didn't. Some of them, most of them were religious women. One of them wasn't even religious. They all woke up the exact same time, on the exact same night, and felt an unbelievable urge to pray for my son. And so Kendra was like, well, what, what happened at 345 that morning? And our answer was, I mean, that's just it. Nothing happened. He slept. Uh, you know, and it was uneventful, which the other nights had not been uneventful. And so he had an uneventful night. So we're convinced that whatever was supposed to happen didn't. And again, I mean, it's just you can't deny when God shows up like that. And for me, that's uncomfortable. I, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, well, Jesus is just driving my car all the time. No. <laughs> I mean, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to be that person preaching on the corner. And when he shows up and it is so obvious, it was uncomfortable for me. I was like, I mean, it was all God, but it was, and it was amazing. Um, we have so many fun stories, but so many miracles. One of our funny moments is while we were at UMC, people had brought us a bunch of snacks, and they're all like lined up on the windowsill, and there was this one tin of cookies that apparently were really good. And we're all distracted by the doctors and the nurses and Thomas and friends and family, and we kept hearing the paper towel dispenser go to release the paper towels, and we'd stop and look. And our other son, Will, had, like, his hand in the cookie jar, and it was underneath the paper towel dispenser. And so it was sensing him, and it was busting him every time. And, like, every 30 seconds, you'd hear, 
<laughs> so finally he forgot to move the cookies, but he got he got caught like stealing all the snacks when no one was looking. Um, so while we were there, we were trying to get into a facility called the Shepherd Center, and it's in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is the best. Uh, rehab facility for spinal cord injury, I think, in the world. Those people I can't say enough about. They are fantastic and wonderful and know what they're doing, and they make a difference. Uh, and we were able to get in, um, Thomas, as a patient. And thanks to family and friends, we were able, Scott and I were able to just literally just go to Atlanta with Thomas. We had parents and, and in-laws basically shifting out to take care of Will and keep him in school. We had friends and family bringing food to them, cutting our grass, feeding our dogs and cat. We literally had the entire community pitching in and doing the everyday things that we were supposed to be doing for us so that we could focus on Thomas. And that's, a, that's an overwhelming um, feeling because you don't feel like you deserve it, but man, it is, it is awesome. Um, and while at Shepherd Center, so hold on, I gotta have support. While at Shepherd Center, we had some of the funniest moments. And you would think that that's like an awful time. It, it, it was. It was an awful time because you're really trying to relearn um, how to be a mom to a quadriplegic. He's trying to relearn how to live life. Um, you, you're trying, you're just like, what? There's a lot of medical stuff that you have to learn. And there's a lot that you learn about your child and he learns about you because you're so wide open and you're so raw. And uh, it just... It's a crazy time, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, while we were there, when you first get there, Shepherd Center allows you to live in an apartment that's attached to the facility so that, like, Scott and I would shift. One, have, one would have the night shift, one would have the day shift, and whoever wasn't on duty would be sleeping in the apartment. And that way we were just right there with Thomas. Uh, but it only lasts about a month that they allow you to live right there, and then they ask you to get an apartment or something elsewhere in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, well... Our month was up, and we had no place to live. And we'd been looking, and in Buckhead, we just, there was nothing. And my mom was talking to me on the phone, and like a good mom, she was all worried. She was like, where are you going to go? I mean, you don't have a place to live, and you're, you got to leave in 24 hours. And I was like, Mom, I mean, at this stage, I've got to say God's got this. Uh, he's answered every single prayer we've thrown at him. He's been with us this entire time. Why would he not be with us now? And as I'm saying it, a nurse walks in and says, you know, Miss Guest, there's, there's someone here to see you. I'm like, okay, Mom, i got to go. So around the corner, there's this lovely lady, and I'm like, hello. She said, you, she said, you don't know me, and, um, and please don't think I'm a crazy woman, because I'm not, but God has just laid it on my heart to come and introduce myself to you and offer you our fully furnished house to live in for free for as long as you need. And I was like, wait, wait, who did you say you are? What? And I, I kind of looked up and I was like, way to go, God. I mean, nice. All right. Uh, within 24 hours, we'd had like three different families offer us a place to live. And they weren't apartments. They were like fully furnished, like condo, nice places. One was within walking distance of Shepherd Center. So we were able to live and have this sanctuary to go home to after a long day with Thomas and kind of feel normal and rest and sleep and watch the Olympics and see each other as husband and wife and be like, you good? All right, we good? All right, let's go to bed. You know. So what a blessing that answered prayer was. Um, I have to tell you one of our funnies. And those of you that really know me know that most of the good stories, most of the really funny ones have to do with bodily function. Okay, it's just, it just is what it is when you're a quadriplegic mom 
catheter talk is like no big deal. Like our checkout lady at Kroger is like, I really, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, there's a lot of things that involve me putting on blue gloves. I love blue gloves. They're great. Uh, but one of the stories is that they have a church service on campus at Shepherd Center because you can't leave the grounds. And so every Sunday, you know, you can show up and most people are in like hospital gowns and there's catheter bags. And I mean, it's just come as you are. And there's, there's a lot of R. So we show up and my husband and I with Thomas and he has to do what's called a weight shift. And, and if you're in a wheelchair, you know this. And it's where you have to take the pressure off of the pressure points because you can't, you can't move. And so that way it keeps your skin from not getting skin sores. And there's lots of different ways you can weight shift. You can you know, go side to side, you can push up. But at that stage, he wasn't strong enough. So his weight shift was to lean all the way over. Like, okay, so you have to lean over like this for like 30 seconds. That's a weight shift. No big deal. Everybody in there was doing it. So uh, it was his turn. Preacher's preaching. We're, you know, yay, we're at church. Thomas goes to lean over to do his weight shift and just rips the biggest tooth. I mean, just, and Scott and I were like, oh my gosh. No one batted an eyelash. The preacher didn't even pause. Apparently passing gas in church there is like the Holy Spirit showing up. I don't know. But... So, of course, we dissolve into giggles. We're like, oh my gosh. And we lost it. We never regained composure. I didn't even hear what the preacher was saying. We were like bad kids in church. Church because we thought that was the funniest thing ever. Thomas did too. So we just sat in the back row and giggled the entire rest of the time because of our guests. Um, our another, another good one is we were blessed enough to get a van that totes Thomas around. And it's a handicapped van where you roll up in there and you strap him in. And so we were able to acquire one while we were at Shepherd, Shepherd Center. And he had not left the grounds. He had not left the hospital until this moment. It had been months. And he was like, you know what I want? And at this point, sidetrack. Scott had had to go back to work, and I think he had the worst part of this gig, because on the weekends, he would drive from Madison to Atlanta, which is not an easy drive, and he would relieve me for the weekend and work all weekend with Thomas, and then drive back and have to be on for work for a week and be away from us, and when, you're, when your heart is there, it's so hard to be away and to be working, and then you're tired, and you're driving back and forth to relieve me, and like, I don't envy what he had to do, but he, he's a good man for that. Um, and so, you know, here I am. It's just the two of us. It's just Thomas and me. And I'm like, where do you want to go? We got a van. Let's do it. And he said, I want sushi. I want big old plate of sushi. I'm like, sushi it is. So I Google sushi near me. And we get in the van. It takes us forever to learn how to strap it in. I'm not familiar with how to drive it. I'm not familiar with Atlanta streets. So we get to the first sushi place, and it's upstairs. And we unload, and the elevator is broken. And we're like, okay, all right, here we go. So we get back in the van as just a downpour hits. It is pouring down rain. And you don't really want to get wet in a wheelchair because then you're sitting in the water. And so we're like, and we're trying to cover. And we get in there, and I'm like, all right, sushi near me again. And at this point, it's hard to see from the rain. And I don't know my way around. And I'm like, okay, I've made enough excuses. So I'm driving in this rain, and I'm listening to the Google voice. And she says, you know, your destination is up on the right. Great. And I see this neon sign that says Tokyo. And I'm like, found it, sushi. So I pull the big van in, and I'm looking for a parking spot. And I hear Thomas just dissolve into laughter, belly laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing? La-? And I look up, and I realize that the Tokyo was not Tokyo sushi. It was Tokyo Exotica, the sex shop. <laughs> Wait, oh yeah. It had fetish rooms in the back. And I'm like, oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, Thomas, don't look. And he's like, yeah, right. Way to go, Mom. I'm like, no. 
mean, the sushi place was like right across the street. And great sushi, but mm. So the next morning, he delighted in telling his PTOT uh, people that his mom took him to a sex shop. First outing, and I was like, winning right there. Got it. Mom of the year right there. Um, all right, so again, so many of our stories uh, at Shepherd Center were centered around bodily functions, bowel movements, catheters, uh, how to brush your teeth, how to shower. I mean, when you have a team of people in a shower with you, it's a very humbling experience. And your mom in the background going, we got Thomas! You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, bless Thomas's heart because he had to be just so wide open. You can't be shy. Um, it, it's a very humbling thing. But after Shepherd Center, they had taught him so much that his goal was to go back to school full-time in the fall because he had missed that second semester his freshman year. He was like, I'm going back my sophomore year. Going back full-time. And I'm going to live in the Sigma Chi house. And I'm like, you're crazy. You can't go live in a fraternity house as a full quadriplegic. You just, it, it can't be done. I'm sorry. And he was like, watch me. So we got a caregiver that would come in for an hour every morning, and we trained him to help with just the, the basics, the bodily functions, and, you know, helping him get dressed so that it, it's faster. And then he was on his own kind of for the rest of the day, and that's where the friends come in. Uh, the Sigma Chi's redid an entire fraternity room for him and checked every round, every door to get into the cafeteria to make sure that he could get around. They built a special bed because all the beds are high. They built a special low bed, which everybody loved because it's easy to get into. And they made sure that when his wheelchair broke, they fixed it. When the truck broke, they fixed it. They got him to class. Uh, one day, he was going down the hill too fast in his hands or his brakes, and he got blisters on both of his hands. And he got to class, and he sent out a text message to his little group and was like, anybody got Band-Aids? <laughs> and one of his friends ran in the heat with a box of Band-Aids and Neosporin and showed up so that in class, when he got out, he was standing there sweating, going, here you go, man. That kind of that kind of love is is unbelievable. Every single guy knows how to calf now. There, it's the funniest thing. I mean, it's a show. And when you're a twenty year old guy, that is that's interesting to know. So they all learned how to calf. They all learned how to take care of Thomas if he chokes. They all learned how to pick him up, sling him over their shoulder. They never let him miss a party. They made sure that their their bus going to formal had wheelchair access. They uh, made sure that when he was down, they were there. They helped him when he needed it. They lifted him up, got him to class, helped him out, and it was the most unbelievable thing, all while still poking fun at him because he's still Thomas, and he's giving them, you know, sass, and they're giving it back, and you just watch it going, it's just Thomas on wheels, and they, it's just amazing. Um, one of his friends, and I will, I'll say his name because I haven't really said any other names, but this, this one particular gentleman is named Cody Dinklewalker, and we just call him the Dink. Because he's just, he's fabulous. He volunteered to learn how to be a caregiver uh, as backup. And, and that sounds all neat because of the words that I'm using. But when I tell you that bowel movements are done manually, um, there are things that, you, that mamas with babies don't even have to do. And this young man stepped up and said, Miss Marty, I want you to teach me how to do it. I, I, I can handle this, just in case. And there were times when it was late afternoon and Thomas would have an accident. And he'd be like, I need you, Dink. And Dink would run over and take care of him. Um, or an incident. Um, every single time, this young man stepped up. And there were several others that could do other things as well. But this, this guy, so much so that Thomas was able to go to concerts in Atlanta. Or went to the beach. 
they even went to get this the uh, the Grand Canyon over spring break. And I'm like, really? He's like, oh, we got this. So they loaded up a bunch of boys, and sweet Cody was the caregiver every morning for Thomas, and they were able to be normal. And they covered, like, seven states, and they went to every, like, you know, off the highway. you got to see the biggest rock. Okay, let's go see it. And he was able to go do all of those things uh, because of because of Cody. Um, an amazing, amazing friendship. Uh, Thomas has been able to, thanks to family and friends, uh, he shaves himself, showers all by himself, he eats by himself, and he can do all of that. He can dress himself, he can drive his own truck, it picks it up and puts it in the back. Um, he goes to class full time, so he's back at school um, as a junior, and he's able to live life. But I want y'all to also know that everything that he does is a struggle and it's so hard as a mom the other day he called me and he said well i'm late for class i've really been doing good going to class and i pull up and this delivery truck has parked across all the handicap spots just to drop off their delivery and he said i can't find them and i'm gonna miss i'm gonna be late i'm gonna be tardy for class and so he just sat there in the parking lot because there wasn't a thing he can do that as a mom I just, I wanted to go up there and rip somebody apart. I was like, what delivery driver is it? I was about to call the president and be like, fire him. So, you know, and there are moments where he calls and he's just, he's just like, I'm just tired. It's, you know, it's an effort to get out of bed, to get dressed, to get into my car, to go get something to eat, to uh, study, to get to class. He said every single thing takes longer and is harder and is difficult. And some days you just want it to be easy. And he said, you know, the only thing that keeps me going is that I have a friend that I met at Shepherd Center, and his only goal was to get back to school, and he's not there. And so he tells me every day that I'm living his dream. He's like, so I mean, how can I give up? And then if he has a bad day, you got people, you know, all around him, his friends that are cheering him up, going, dude, what do you need? You you need, let's go, let's go do this. Let's, we're here for you. So it's a, it's hard. It's hard as a, as a parent. It's hard for Thomas. But at the same time, through all of that, you see God's mercy and grace. And, and when you're that empty, God is able to fill you up with the peace and the joy that only he can give. And you realize, God, he is so good. The verse that we uh, clung to was Joshua 1.9. And it was, um, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's kind of our motto, is that he's with us. So, I mean, at this point, let's go. I think the next thing Thomas wants to do is to skydive. So y'all can just pray for that. (laughs) Me, right now. Um, So that's my story. And um, I hope it encourages y'all. And if y'all have any questions, I'll take them. So we'll open it up to questions now. I think Marty will be... Oh, I'm a Brutally well, honest, as you now know. So ask away if you have any. Um, I have a question. Um, you know, we're all, we all sit here and think, okay, what if, of course you, you know, we don't think, you know, if, if we were to walk this ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next thing is to think, what if a close friend or someone that we know is walking that and in the midst of it? How how can you encourage us to, to to sort of know what to do in those situations as friends, right. family? Right. Uh, I would say the number one thing is prayer. 
And as crazy as as simple as that is, it doesn't take much effort, and you don't have to really stop what you're doing. Prayer made the biggest difference in our lives. We felt God's presence every day, and I know that it was because of the hundreds and hundreds of people that were praying for us. Uh, but but even even more tangibly, uh, we had people that did things that they didn't think were very special, but it was just something that they could do. Whether it was feed our cat, which was awesome. Uh, we had a young man come down and cut our grass for us. Uh, so people used their talents, whatever that talent was, and just gave of themselves. And it was, it was really, I mean, we had one woman that wrote a note, I think, every single day to Thomas. And every day we we're like, oh, there's Peggy's note. And we, and we would get so tickled because that was her gift. Her gift was that she encouraged every day with just a little note. We had kids that drew pictures, made a little bracelet that Thomas wore to it, like, wad it off. Um, so if you're ever wondering, God, you know, I just don't know what to do. I'm not a good cook. I don't know if I should give them a meal. It just worst case scenario, do the best thing you can do, and that's to pray. So that's it. Marty, yeah. uh, how did the stem cell? Uh, good question. So we, we've gone and gotten two rounds of stem cells. Uh, the first one was in Belgium. The second one was in Mexico. Uh, and we do have to travel outside the country because it is not legal in the United States. And, you know, we like to break that rule. So we, uh, we've had two rounds. And the first round, he actually regained some stomach muscle function, which is a big deal because otherwise you can't balance. If you think about your core muscles being gone, you're like a teeter-totter. I mean, it's hard to hold yourself up. So he's actually gotten some stomach muscles returning. Uh, the second round is still too early to tell. They say it takes about six months to see results, but his blood pressure has already improved. He's As a quad, if you sit up too fast or move too fast, you pass out because your body has a hard time regulating your blood pressure. And so constantly you'd see him kind of give you the signal and you have to pick his legs up and hold his head back and you know wait for him to wake back up. And it's a scary feeling for him because you're confused and you don't like it. And, um, and it's an awful feeling as a mom because your kid's passed out. Uh, and this second round of stem cells has almost eliminated that. So it is wonderful that he's gotten better. So we're, it's just time will tell. And he also just got accepted to a clinical trial. Um, so he's going to be a, a fabulous little guinea pig around Christmas time. And we're hoping that this protein is, um, it'll be the first time tried in humans. So he's excited. So we'll see. I mean, we're, we're, he's open for just about, he's young and healthy enough that we're hoping that, that science will catch up. And, and at least give him a little bit better quality of life. So thanks for asking that. I, so um, a lot of us are, have children, you know, and, and they're growing up, and um, just sitting there listening to you talk about all the, the guys that have, have helped take care of him. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's because God has done a work in their heart, you know, and, and give them, fill them with that compassion and love for Thomas and their friend. But, like, what, as moms to our children, especially sons, can we encourage that just, you know, that these boys are, you know, they're there for him and they they want to be there for him and they want to help him? What would you say? Um, and, it's, and it's a strange answer. Um, to not be afraid... Uh, some of the, some of the people were honest, and they were like, "We weren't real sure if it was a head injury too." Because then you see somebody in a wheelchair, and you're like, "Are they? Are they? How special are they? Like, is it going to be awkward? Or are they going to be able to understand?" And so that fear keeps them from interacting. Uh, and so Thomas was invisible to a degree to some people because just the fear factor. So my first thing would be, is don't be afraid. Uh, you know, 
if, if they are if they aren't able to communicate you'll learn okay and if they are bitter some people that we knew at Shepherd Center in that same situation didn't have the Lord and they were bitter and angry and mean um, and so okay you learn your lesson that means you leave that one alone so but the biggest thing is you ask uh, and and for Thomas, some of the hard part is so many people want to help in that it actually complicates things. They'll hop in and, and they won't ask, but they'll just start helping. And he's like, no, 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 I'm trying, to, I'm trying to learn how to do it myself. He was trying to learn how to push up a hill to gain strength. And this one person saw him struggling and just walked up and started pushing him. And he was like, man, I really appreciate it, but this is, I'm actually working out. I mean, this is what I, I'm trying to do this to build my muscles. So I guess the answer would be to not be afraid and um, just to ask. And his friends, that was the biggest thing that I loved. Thomas loves educating other people, especially about the gross stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, guys are like, how do you go to the bathroom? I mean, how does, how does all that work? And he's just like, let me tell you, you want to watch? Come on. I mean, it's, so just don't be afraid and then just ask. So that's what I teach him. Anything else? No, I was going to say, tell the story about the dog, how he got the dog, his, his special. Yay. So he wanted to get a therapy dog, therapy dog. And at first we were like, okay, it's going to pick up your keys. It's going to put your socks on for you. It's gonna do I mean, I had this dingy thing in my head. He's going to be the greatest dog ever. And I was like, I mean, what, what do you want this dog to do for you? And he was like, fetch girls. Uh, but as he has progressed, he, it's really more, it breaks the barrier. It, it breaks the social barrier. Because when you see somebody in a wheelchair, you tend to be like, Okay, I don't really know how to handle it. But if you see somebody in a wheelchair with a cute, fluffy dog, you're like, oh my gosh. And it, it, it breaks the barrier. They come over and they're like, can I pet your dog? Yeah, pet the dog. And then, they, and then they're engaging. Um, and this dog, we researched and researched and researched all the little litters. And we're online each day after Shepherd Center. And we're looking at these little puppies. And we decided we were going to get this one that wore the little blue collar because they all had different colored collars. We're like, we want the blue one. And so we were telling people that we were going to get this service dog named Blue. And uh, this young man who I've never met, uh, and Rivers is his name, and he's in Memphis, and he heard about our story and had been praying about us. And he was about, I think, 12 at the time. He had been cutting grass all summer for his savings. And he went to his mom and said, Mom, I want you to take out my savings and send it to Thomas to help buy blue. And I was, I was like, oh, God, would be nice. <laughs> so uh, Blue's full name is Blue Rivers Guest uh, because this young man gave us his entire summer savings to help Thomas with that dog. Um, and he's the freaking cutest thing ever. But, and, he's, and he's Thomas wants him at school with him full time and he's learning how to behave at the moment so we were in behavioral therapy for the dog so that he can come stay and sit um, so yeah he has a therapy dog named Blue who doesn't do really much of anything but look cute <laughs> is there anything else? well Same I thing. have another question yeah. what are some of your just ways that we can tangibly pray for you every day as a mom? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's here's my thing is that when you live a lifestyle that drains you, when you live a level of crisis for so long, then you run out of reserve. And so what used to not trigger me triggers me now. What used to not wear me out exhausts me now. Um, there are certain things that come along in life that you're like, this would be just a small bump in a normal person's life. And I emotionally don't have what it takes to, to deal with it at this point. So honestly, it is just for God to fill me up every day. 
and to relinquish all of, of just that emptiness so that he can. Um, because it's there are days that like you'll hear a song and it'll trigger a memory and it, it just takes you down a path. Or like when he calls you and tells you that there's the delivery truck parked in his parking spot and for the next hour I'm just I'm, I'm out because I, I can't emotionally, I want to fix it. So just praying for peace and praying for, uh, for God to just fill me up. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. That was awesome. We're so glad you joined us for Marty's story. Her positivity is contagious. Her story also challenges me to look for God's blessings, even in some of the most challenging and devastating circumstances. After all, as the word reminds us, the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Whether we're on a mountaintop or in the valley or on a long road where we just don't get a break and it requires daily endurance, He is with us. Once again, we want to thank you for listening and for your support of the Storytellers Live podcast. Your ratings, reviews, and shares with friends have done so much to spread the news of our podcast and bring it to new ears. Just remember that you can always find us on our website or on social media. Our website is storytellerslive.org. And also we post a new episode every Wednesday. And if you subscribe to whatever platform you like listening to, uh, you'll automatically receive a notification when the new episode pops up and goes live. So we're thankful for all of you and we'll see you next week.